Hey listeners and welcome to FF Plus. This is your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for tonight's conversation is Patrick, making an appearance here on FF Plus again. There we go, here I am, how to do, hello. And Don Shanahan from EveryMovieHasALesson.com. It's like how Patrick like doesn't know what to do when it's not a regular feeling film, you know? That I was know, hilarious. I, just, I have no notes. I, I think, huh? Right? Thing. Yeah. No and we're going to talk so short, and it's going to be quick. But no, Don Shanahan here from EveryMovieHasALesson.com and 25 Well. Good to hear from you folks. It is actually very strange for us, because the normal show is so structured and so routine that these can go a little bit haywire. It's so it's it's a little bit in between our normal organized show and our completely off the rails and flying by the seat of our pants bonus content. So it's like, you know, it, it, it's right there in the, in the nice middle ground. Uh, but yeah, so guys, we're here to talk about Mulan. Again, this is a spoiler free review. So I say that because I also kind of don't necessarily mean <laughs> here's the thing. Like we're going to have to compare this a little bit to the original and some plot beats that are maybe different. We're not going to go into specifics as far as how this story resolves itself, uh, but we probably are going to talk about some of the the small things that happen in the movie, of course, as far as the just the way that the structure is designed because it's a remake and that's what you want to know is you want to know how this compares to the original Disney animated musical that you grew up falling in love with. So, whoa, 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 whoa! It's a reimagining. Reimagining. Come on. Okay. Get your BS term right here. I'm, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get a confession here. I haven't ever seen the original Mulan for this reason. I waited to see the live action before seeing the musical, which is probably we're, why we're I was in a for a treat. Then I'm saying <laughs> I need you to watch that so we can find out yeah. what you think about the original. Because okay. Wow, oh, that's going to be here. fascinating. I'm actually really Ooh. glad to hear that for is, podcast is, purposes. Yeah. 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 All right, so guys, we're here to talk about Mulan. Uh, this will be available to Disney Plus members on September the 4th for the premium price of $30 on top of your $6.99 a month subscription fee. Uh, the Mulan Premier Access offer will be available until November the 2nd. And then as of December the 4th, 2020, Mulan will be available to all Disney Plus subscribers at no additional cost. We think that the reason they did this, obviously, is because... Uh, well, we'll get into that. I, I've got a note about... Talk about the uh, reason that that may be what Disney is doing here. Uh, but the short of it is, if you want to pay 30 bucks to see this with your family, you can do so this week. If you want to wait, so be it. You can wait till December and watch it on Disney Plus for, quote-unquote, free at that point. The movie stars uh, Chinese actress Yu Yifei, martial arts greats Donnie Yen and Jet Li, and Lee Gong. It is directed by Nikki Cairo. The synopsis, if you don't know it, is a young Chinese maiden disguises herself as a male warrior in order to save her father. It's based on an old Chinese legend. Okay, so Disney specifically created this film with the Middle Kingdom audiences in mind, and I, it was going to get a theater release in China. It's still going to happen, even though it's going straight to VOD here in the United States. So, Patrick, you're going to not be able to answer this first question, so we'll start with Don. But, uh, Don, I wondered, like, how you saw this. Does it reimagining feel more like it's respectful of the culture than the original to you? I do. Um, I feel like when you cut out the song and dance and you cut out the spirits, and I know we're going to get to some of that stuff later, um, it does. Uh, I think when you have the 
not just the, the the totems and the virtues that kind of become the you know engraved into hearts engraved into swords and things like that i do think you know the the family structure is there i love that mulan has a sister i know we're getting into small details already but just that the family dynamic was so much better here now i know they're still doing the matchmaker i know they're still doing the betrothal of things and all that but just the the male attitudes of the film and i feel like the female attitudes of the film play out a little more straight than they do cartoonish to go on to many things that are cartoonish i really do um and i have to admit full primer my wife is chinese and she adores this movie from 1998 and i kind of had to run that by her and i said hey what do you think and she's like it was great you know like not not that she's super duper rooted in chinese culture she's an immigrant she's been in america since she was less than a year old but at the same time she's done her homework so to speak and is around families that do and um yeah she just really enjoyed how uh just yeah the totems of it were strong the family structure was strong and even just the the beauty of the country i think also i think the last thing i'll say on this is um even from an acting representation standpoint, this is phenomenal across the board in terms of including, uh, you know, Chinese actors and Chinese performers. Whereas you can kind of hide a little bit of that in an animated version where you have like George Takai, who's Japanese, and you start to blend and mix a little bit more like, oh, you're Asian for the sake of Asian or you're Eddie Murphy, which is <laughs> his own little thing. Um, I do. I feel like this was fantastic to be more respectful. Yeah, so I I would agree almost across the board with what you're saying. I also felt that it was handled much more sincerely and less humorously. I did not think that there – I thought it was very careful rather not to take any jokes, not to make any jokes about Chinese culture. And that's probably smart since this is the audience that they're trying to go for here. Um, The all-Asian cast is a big deal if you're going to make this sort of blockbuster and put it in this – actual setting uh, with these backdrops, you need that legitimacy. One thing that sort of kind of tweaked me just a little bit, and I've struggled with how to articulate this in a way that doesn't make me sound terrible. So I'm just going to come out with it. But the thing that was a little weird was that some of the Asian actors have very little English speaking uh, history. And some of them are very clearly English as a second language. Others either have learned English so well that you can't really tell the difference. There's no, there's no dialect in the way that they speak. And so at times, um, for one character specifically, the, he's like, he's not the commander of the regiment that Mulan becomes a part of, but he's like their training leader or something. I, I don't know, whatever would be under the commander. He's like their sergeant, essentially. Uh, you know, when he speaks, you could not, his voice feels different because it doesn't have an accent to it when the rest of the people speaking to him do in the same scenes. And so at times that was a little just disorientating or disorienting sure. for me. Um, I hear you there. Minor, minorest of things um, ultimately doesn't matter because they allowed this to be an Asian cast, which I think is the most important thing. And I like those little nods at culture, like you said, things like temples um, and prayers uh, to their their ancestral providers and ancestral beings, this phoenix that they uh, rely on and, and remember. So Patrick, how did the cultural aspect of this film play for you seeing it for the first time? Well, I think the word fantastic comes to mind and not that it was a fantastic movie, but the fact that when you look around, this feels a lot like Hero Light. If you guys are familiar with that Jet Li movie, 
it feels a lot like it's in that kind of vein of wanting to be culturally appropriate, but not necessarily fully immersive. And I think the moments that felt really immersive were those visual cues that Phoenix coming over her, she's on her journey uh, to become part of this army. And sorry if that was spoilery, but it's not a big deal. It's not a plot point. It's all good. This is new to me. I don't, I'm not used to the spoiler free stuff. So anyway, but when you watch the movie as a whole, it just feels really immersive, but casually immersive. Like I don't feel like I'm completely engrossed. I've jumped into Asian culture as a whole. I felt like I've been given, like I've been given a hand to hold and there's enough about it that feels Western. The non uh, subtitled dialogue, obviously. But at the same time, you have those moments where there is very much uh, a little bit of that callback to a crouching tiger, some of that floating whenever the, the choreography really grabbed my attention more than anything else. I think it was beautifully done. And I think that to, to speak from someone who hasn't seen the animated movie, I can only speak from comparing it to other Asian live action movies, whether they're based on an animated film or not it feels consistent with those. And I think mm -hmm. that's appropriate because it says a lot about the Asian culture. It's very delicate. It's very beautiful. It's very artistic. And I think Mulan, to an extent, this rendition of it really kind of played well with that. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting what you just said. I read a tweet today from someone who was kind of jokingly said, Mulan has this great sweeping cinematography landscapes and, amazing action choreography um, and big set pieces with a lot of heart. And they were said, they said, you know, this is not a blockbuster in China. It's just another movie and because That's this is true. the kind of movies that they go to the cinema to see all the time. And so I did feel like it was very consistent with that, Patrick. Um, and I would agree. I thought that the fight choreography was one of the big standouts of the film for me. I liked that the scenes are sporadic, so they're not, there's not a constant flow of action in this movie. Um, you know, it opens with a, lot to breathe, a really fun moment, you know, to kind of get you started. And it has some callbacks to that fun moment, you know, within the middle, middle action set piece. And then also in the finale. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, there's, I don't want to say a femininity, but there's a, there's a, just, there's a difference to the way that the choreography is done yeah. That shows itself with the gracefulness of Mulan that you don't typically see in a martial arts movie that is just starring Jet Li or Donnie Yen, right? Yeah. It's a lot more physical and violent feeling. And Mulan just has this very fluid movement to her. Mm -hmm. um, grace yeah. is the only word that comes to mind. But yeah, Don, did you, you resonate yeah. with the choreography? I do. Um, I, I, I say it in my future or soon to be published review. Um, I feel like a term that deserves to get rewritten in, like in the way we use, you know, in the colloquialism we use it is the phrase a woman's touch. You know, this movie is, uh, directed by a Kiwi woman, not a Chinese director. I know Ang Lee was asked to do this movie and turn it down. Uh, but here comes Nikki Carroll from New Zealand. And you're right. Like you feel like these scenes, whether it's the action or the calm parts are made by a woman with a woman in mind, uh, right down to the action, right down to the wardrobe right down to all those little choices. And I love that even if somebody like Patrick, who hasn't seen the other version, can just speak to the idea of consistency. That's a great word for it. 
So, Patrick, you also mentioned some of the Phoenix shots and how they brought this element of fantasy into this picture. I I wondered for Dawn how this played, because the Phoenix in this film is a family, uh, I don't, not an heirloom. What would the right word, you know, it's a family crest. crest, Yeah. That's a good Um, way of putting it. That they refer back to as having been a protector of the father when he was in the war years ago. Um, and so this Phoenix, you know, being a symbol that mm-hmm. is this family that's going to rise from the ashes and yada, yada, it, it pretty much replaces the singing dragon that Mushu was in a sense as, as sort of as a companion to Mulan throughout the film, but really not a companion. I don't want to get people wrong here. The Phoenix is not a big part of this film. It shows up mm-hmm. a few times, I didn't like it. Okay. I'm going to be upfront and just say, I didn't care for it. I thought that the Phoenix, the CGI of the Phoenix, a it's gigantic. It's so much bigger than say, uh, Fox in Harry Potter. Um, and it just is overwhelmingly obvious to me that it's a fake fantastical bird in what otherwise seems like a, so much a grounded story. I was like, why do we have this here? And I, I know that it calls back to legends uh, sure. in China and such, but it just, it, from a film perspective, it didn't completely work for me. And anytime it came on screen, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, I'm I'm checked out of this particular moment. It doesn't raise my blood pressure. Or any, it doesn't get me yeah. excited or, you know, get my emotions heightened. But did it work for you? It did. I feel like a simple symbolism. It's a nice foil with the, the witch character played by Lee Gong where she can kind of be this very threatening, looming, and equally CGI-created falcon or hawk, whatever she is. And sometimes she can kind of break into many little flocks of crows and hawks or whatever she's going to be. So as a foil of comparison, you have this very aggressive hawk, falcon, witch. And she obviously has very similar female um, power and energy kind of you know issues and, and, and expressions as Mulan. And it's, I love the foil created by Lee Gong in the movie. And so if you compare that with, if you can, yeah, if you compare that with a the graceful phoenix, despite how fantastical it looks, it will all, I I did like its grace. I think it matched where you have, I don't want to say yin and yang, because that's a very, you know, Asian similar thing to do. But yeah, if, if Mulan represents the grace and the courage of the phoenix versus the aggressiveness of that hawk and falcon, it's a good match. And anything beats Eddie Murphy is a damn dragon. Anything. I mean, in this film, yes. Eddie Murphy as a dragon in this film would not play at all, period. I mean, it, anybody, it, you know, no. you could get, what is it, James Wong? Is that who plays in all of the, yeah. the animated but, films? You know, like, he's like the duck in Kung Fu Panda. Exa- exactly. Yeah. yeah, like even he, like he would be the perfect one to get for that. But no, it would be so out of place mm-hmm. um, here. Patrick, the antagonist that Don's talking about is this witch, this female character. She is not part of the original film. So this is a new character that, in addition to the Hun army, is there to provide context to Mulan's struggle of hiding herself. Um, and this is a different woman who also has similar powers, as Don mentioned, as far as mastering of the chi uh, in a way that her society does not approve of and she has 
chosen to use it in a different way than Mulan may have chosen to use it. So uh, did you enjoy this kind of foil for Mulan? I did because I think it adds another layer to what the story is is talking about. I mean, everybody who's seen Mulan as the animated one knows what the plot is. And so I think this adds another layer to it that gives it some interest. And I've said this before on our show and in different conversations, but this is what I think a reimagining should look like where you take the original and don't just put live people in it. You don't just do a shot for shot because as much as I was looking forward to something like the Lion King, it was a shot for shot remake. And in a lot of ways it diminished it because nothing new felt, nothing felt new. Maybe a couple of songs here and there. Having not even seen the animated film, what I can tell you is that when you add something to the story, it's good only when that new thing makes sense. And so I think watching her do what she does originally, which is join this army, pretend to be a guy, that's pretty monumental. But you, it, there's an interest level that gets peaked when you add a foil, as Don said, when you add somebody who is her equal, but is kind of the Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader kind of relationship, not father son, but that kind of forced dark side type thing and i think that that's relatable to a lot of audiences and so those that may not latch on to that pretty amazing thing that is her joining this army as a woman now you've got something that's a little bit more comfortable that people are a little bit more familiar with and they can latch on to that and i think that's what gives the it reimagining its its weight is is it's not importance but really more of its interest because you're not just retelling that story. You're adding a layer that makes sense not only to today's audience, but for a live-action audience. I think that there are things about this movie that serve themselves better in a live-action format. And to go back to what you were talking about, about the Phoenix, I like the Phoenix, but when you put something in live-action, even if the story is kind of hinting at a culture that seems somewhat fantastical, you can run the risk of making things a little too out there. And there were times when I felt like, even when we initially see the Phoenix, I was like, eh, no, I don't think I want that. Maybe something that felt a little bit more grounded, but felt like it was something that was tangible. But I think that the villain here made a lot more sense. So I'm not comparing the villain to the Phoenix necessarily. I'm saying the addition of a villain with that kind of personality, with that kind of character trait added to the story whereas opposed to phoenix could have been left in more of a exposition role yeah i i would 100 percent agree i think that's exactly how i feel about it and by the way it's james hong not james wong i just want to correct myself there um dom what did you think about a the antagonist if you had any other thoughts and then in general just the way that the story kind of plays out this is the careful part because we don't want to give away exactly what happens but just the, what this movie has to say about being who you're meant to be and, mm-hmm. and friendship, honestly, because I, I personally yeah. was really drawn to the relationship between Mulan and some of her fellow soldiers. That was, it, it accounted for some of my favorite scenes in the movie when they would just sit around and talk um, mm-hmm. and have this banter. I thought it was really fantastic. Yeah, for me, I just compared to the animated one or even on its own, what you have is you just have rich, complex depth that you wouldn't have otherwise. In my review, I say um, it's the difference between traits and virtues. Traits feel something very surface level, 
like, oh, look at that. It's a it's a nice little nod here or a little little splash of this, a little sprinkle of that in a character. But a virtue is in here. It's deeper. It's huge. It's, you know, and I said it earlier, not only is it etched into a sword, it's etched into a heart. And um, those elements just are so, so have so much more weight here than they would in a cutesy kid version. That that, for me, worked really good because you now have an antagonist that can match that. The revenge factor of, you know, Jason Scott Lee's Boracon, you know, plays well against somebody like Jet Li. I know those scenes aren't very, you know, detailed or very deep. But they really favor the female antagonist instead. Um, but there's enough there to have a little fun with it. Um, maybe Jason Scott Lee is a bit of a one-dimensional, let's-go-kill-the-emperor kind of guy. But it's still kind of Jason Scott Lee where you're like, dang, it's Jason Scott Lee. And then at the same time, it's a renewed and revitalized Jet Li who's been, you know, ill for several years. So it's nice to see him back. And um, so that part is fine and dandy in that way. And then when it comes to friendship, yes, um, finally you have a one of the very rare Disney movies that doesn't force a romance. You know, um, obviously by the time genders are revealed and things turn, um, there's there's you know there's hints of a, oh it's a girl and boy she's she's pretty darn good at what she does, but the camaraderie is thicker than just a silly little song of make a man out of you, you know, or a girl worth fighting for. You're like. What you get in two songs in a Disney animated film, you get in actionable moments of actions instead of words in this film. Yeah, I, I wanted to make a note real quick on that because there are a couple of moments, one in which Mulan is undressing for the first time in secret and she's unwrapping herself. And of course, you know, when a woman is trying to pretend to be a man, they have to cover up certain parts that would give them away being their chest. And, you know, I have... At this point in my life, it's a very different time than when I saw Mulan, the animated film, for the first time. And so for me, uh, knowing quite a few uh, trans men, I was immediately thinking about that because I thought about chest binders and these things that women wear in order to make them feel the way that they want to feel. And and watching Mulan, she has visible pain, right, from having to go through this physically in order to uh, conceal herself. I almost said reveal, but to conceal herself. Um, and so that was kind of impactful. I thought, I thought it was played out in a way that I think modern audiences can relate to more so than just that one kind of plot point of, Hey, you're not a girl, you're a guy, but like there's more, more to it now um, with the way that genders are um, considered in modern times. And then also with the romance, I just wanted to point out one thing I really enjoyed was that the characters share a deep friendship and affection for each other that is built naturally. And it has nothing to do with the way they're supposed to feel about each other. And like you said, it's not played into a traditional full on romance. There may be some hintings of that, of course, but it's not handled that way. I just, I really appreciated the way that it was handled. And again, like those friendships that were built throughout the, the film um, through both acts of and deeds and service to each for, from characters um, from moments of listening to each other and just being an ear and, and giving advice. And, and those were really, I think just satisfying to me um, overall. And then, like I said, I, I, the story as a whole is just, a very good one. The family aspect of this, I really enjoyed. Patrick, how did that play for you? The family stuff. 
Oh, I loved it. And I, I, I'm going to co-sign everything that you guys have said. And I think all of that is supported by the fact that there's no singing. And this is another thing that I think is pretty fantastic. Something I was actually looking forward to, even having not seen the original. When you remove music from a Disney musical, you're taking a big chance. And so you have to be able to take care of the story in a lot of different ways, in a lot of more specific ways. So adding those elements, that family dynamic, the the way in which those specific issues are handled and handled again with the woman's touch, like Don said, it doesn't feel sissy like. It just feels appropriate, and it doesn't feel it. Ain't, I won't say even emasculated. It feels like it makes the movie feel like it's approachable for a a large audience, as opposed to this is not just this is not a women's lib movie because it's not just about that. It's not about a hero's quest because it's not just about that. It's not even about how to deal with the crazy family that doesn't understand you because it's not just about that. But it's all blended together in such a way that all those things make sense next to each other. They don't feel like they are conflicting with each other. It's all in service to the bigger narrative, which I think is what makes this movie so good. And if you put music and singing on top of that, it becomes hokey you lose yourself in that moment look i'd be the first to tell you i love musicals and you know west side story is one of my favorites dear evan hansen is rapidly shooting up the charts as being probably my favorite modern musical of all time but it's because of the touches of character that live in those stories that make them so good and i almost wonder if you take those musical moments out would it be as effective i don't even want to speculate about that because i can't imagine dear evan hansen without the music but for something like mulan you have enough in there that i think it almost enhances what you miss potentially from the animated edition and i don't of course i can't speak to that so i, I you guys can speak to that it's really just a reworking of plot. Instead of the okay. plot coming out as much in song, the plot is just being spoken or being shown to you in action. And one thing I will say I did love about the movie, since you touched on this, this was actually one of the last things I wanted to mention was the music, because folks who want to know, I was so impressed with the way the melodies are woven into the beautiful. score. It is yeah. beautiful. And Patrick, when you watch the movie Mulan, the animated film, you're going to immediately, you're going to have the opposite reaction that we did, but like the track reflection specifically, mm. one of the main themes, it is there and it's very slowed down. It's orchestral, but it is instead of like an upbeat kind of pop song that is in the Disney movie, but you immediately have an emotional reaction to it because if you've seen the film, previously because you know what that music is even just slowed down with just notes there um and i and i just thought that was amazing i just remember my, my eyes got big and i was just like perked up and i was like oh my gosh that's and it happens like with two or three different songs they slow them down at the right moments and kind of put them there in the background i thought it was just brilliantly done um i agree not forced um, at all. In the old film, I, I think Patrick, when you see it, uh, it's it's Jerry Goldsmith, the old school composer, who's oh, I love all Jerry brass. Goldsmith. He's all brass. He's all action. You know, you know, an old school guy. And he did a Disney movie late in his career. And it's um, and he did it like with three days to make the score. Like it was last minute oh, gosh. And stuff. And um, he came in and he, and he nailed the score. I, I was the animated one. And um, if there's one like really good song, it is that reflection song. The, 
the one that's sung by and it's a guest singer in the, in the animated one replacing uh um oh gosh uh who's the lady who plays Mulan normally it's uh oh Ming Na Wen and uh who gets a wink wink keep an eye out um anyway uh but the app reflection is it's it was Christina Aguilera's end credits ballad, which is all its own thing, which is she's great anyway. And it's, you know, pre-stardom Christina Aguilera, so it's awesome. And then the fun part is, just like Aaron said, the music just comes in and it shows up just enough with a little bit of just a, a bending of that same brassy goodness of Goldsmith. And I heard it in the trailer months ago and I had tingles then because you have these fatherhood moments you're seeing. Uh, Zema try to shake that sword and it just swells up to reflection and you hear it in your ears and you're taken there and it's sold. And then end credits, you get more of it. You know, no spoiler here. You know, uh, the, the, the lead actress sings the own Mandarin version of the movie. Aguilera comes back to do her own, I, I don't want to say remake or cover of it. And then she has a brand new song that's mm-hmm. going to be an Oscar contender because of the original song category. Yeah, the music, you're going to love it then and you're going to love it now, Patrick, I swear. I actually was surprised because I thought that when I heard reflection in the trailer, it was going to be like a faint. Like it was one of those like, Hey, we're doing this in the trailer to get your attention, but there's no way they're going to actually have that same thing in the movie. And so I was, I mean, which is, I guess maybe I'm crazy for thinking that way, but I thought for sure, I was like, Oh, there, you know, that's a perfect thing to put in a trailer to get you hooked um, in a little portion, but then to have it happen with multiple songs throughout so seamlessly. Yeah. It was just, it was wonderful. Um, last kind of thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up, this movie cost $200 million to make. And when I read that, I was a little bit surprised and I'm curious how you guys feel about that. So the movie, that's a lot of money for any blockbuster. I mean, there are Marvel movies and DC comic book movies that have been made for less. And this did not feel anywhere close to a $200 million movie for me. Um, and I'm a little nervous for Disney because they were expecting, obviously, a huge, they're expecting a Chinese theatrical boom, um, but they were expecting United States theaters to pick up the slack. And so this $30 family fee that they're charging uh, has been a big controversy. I want to know what you guys thought. I'm going to tell you what I thought first. So having seen it, and I've watched it twice now. And that's because I liked it enough that I wanted to watch it again. And I think it might be like the third movie in 2020 that I've watched twice. So take that for what you will as for my feelings on it. But I would actually recommend this to most families at this point, because for 30 bucks, if you're interested in this, I think it's a movie that you can get more play out of. I think it's worth revisiting two or three times in the course of the next three or four months uh, with your group of kids. And so I understand what they're doing and I understand the audience they're going for. If you're a single dude like me and I didn't and I wasn't going to get press access, I wouldn't pay 30 bucks for it. I mean, that's just point blank. I don't think it's worth 30 bucks for a single person. I just don't see that unless you're made of money and you just want to, you know, give Disney some cash because you love them, which is fine. You can give it to anybody you want, but. For value, it feels high for a single person. I don't think Disney is trying to target the single audience, and that's what I'm getting at is I think that that's okay. I think it's fine. Uh, they've got to make up their money. Ultimately, guys, we're in the time of COVID. My business is hurting, hurting bad. My YMCA's have been closed. We are losing our you know members at a rapid rate, and we're just struggling to hang on. Disney's struggling to hang on, too, in context for what they normally would be having. And so... I get it. Um, 
I do wish I would have been able to see this in a theater, though, because of the sweeping cinematography at times, the wide landscape shots, and also that action choreography. So a bit of a bummer there, but I think it does play really well on a large, nice 4K TV like mine. So um, I was ultimately satisfied. But w- what do you think about cost of this film and what they're yeah. charging for it for value? Um, I do this. Yeah, this is, I don't want to say problematic because it's not, you know, a huge, a 200 is a lot. It's not a killer because it's Disney and they can afford it. But this, this is an awful lot to spend for something that just lands on Disney Plus. But it's an unexpected haircut that they're going to take. Um, I'm with you though. I think a family can get enough play for 30 bucks worth between now and Thanksgiving to pull this off. Like if you watch it, you know, once every other week from now until December, you're, you're going to get your money's worth. Especially if we're, you know, I don't want to play all of Jacob Neff in here, but if we're getting faded on physical media and this never lands on disc for a year, yeah, spend 30 bucks. You, it would cost you that much to haul your family with masks and no concessions to the theater anyway. Get three months worth of a movie for 30 bucks if you're a family. I do think it's worth it. They're going to get a crazy haircut for it. I, I think if Disney was smart, they would have charged money for Hamilton instead. They would have made a killing on that because 30 bucks for Hamilton is way less than theater tickets for the best seat in the house. But, um, I, but I'm with you. Final thought. Yeah. This, I was really hoping for, to see this in the theater. We just missed it by what, two, three weeks when, when the COVID hit. So yeah. I want to this... say my, my screening was actually the week that we shut down, uh, here because we shut down first before the rest of the country. So, uh, yeah, I want to say it was like it was on my calendar and I was planning to go. I remember talking to my coworkers like, hey, I'm seeing Mulan next week. And then it was like, oh, I'm not seeing anybody for the next three months, much less a movie. Patrick, how did you feel about the budget versus value? Well, the budget definitely feels more bloated than the movie seems to give it credit for because the the story is great, but it is pretty basic. We don't have a lot of special effects. The actors themselves are not, you know, Western world speaking, not big names. So I don't know where that money went. Maybe it was because it was on location. Maybe it was, I don't know. Maybe the Phoenix cost too much. Who knows? But but (laughs) so I get as a business, you want to recoup. It's going to be a hard sell for a long time to pay a theater experience price for an at-home viewing. And Aaron, you and I have been talking, you know, you're talking about 4K and stuff like that. My wife and I are still living off of our 720 DPI in our living room, and we're completely satisfied with that, you know, until it breaks. We've had it since we've been married, and that's what I watched this viewing on. Granted, you know, it's a screener, so it's got my name plastered all over it, and it's not in, you know, full resolution. And it's coming off my tablet, too. It's whatever. Anyway, logistics aside... What I what I struggle with is that when you see movies that you can purchase for 19.95, and you see a movie that you're essentially catching. No, wait, just to clarify, you can only see it once, right? Or do you own it? No, you you own it as oh, long so as it, you're a subscriber for Disney Plus. Okay, so, so you don't really own it, but like but, you have access paying, to it. But you're <laughs> paying a premium until it officially goes. But you still have to subscribe to the service. So here's where my frustration would be. If you're going to charge that much, charge it to anybody. Let it release on other platforms, not just Disney+. Plus. Give your Disney Plus folks a discount. Maybe make it 20 instead of 30 And then release it whenever you need to. Because $30 for anybody, even a family, 
if I'm taking my family of three to a movie theater, yeah, I'm going to pay for $30. But the fact is we're paying for the theater experience. We're paying for the chance to pick our own seats, to prepare for that, as opposed to sitting in our living room and maybe our dogs start barking at the neighbor and we have to stop it. Or maybe we ran out of popcorn, so we have to pause it and whatever. And that's convenient, but it also ruins that movie experience. Plus, you know, some folks in the theater, and by theater I mean my living room, like to have their cell phones out while they're watching a movie, which is kind of frustrating. And that would just become a lot easier. So this is just me speaking personally. I think it's too expensive. And I think if you're going to make it that expensive, at least offer it outside of your platform. Give it to yeah. other distributions. and then make exclusive to D plus in December. And that way people, if they want to see it again, boom, they have access to it for five bucks or 10 bucks a month or whatever Disney plus is now. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's smooth move there. That's the best book worlds. Give that man a job. Yep. <laughs> Marketing. Marketing. All right. Well, any final thoughts before we end this? Do you guys have anything else? It seems like we're all three very high on this. We all three really enjoyed it. And we would say definitely worth a watch based on, you know, your own budget and what yep. you can afford. Cool. Don, before we take off, why don't you tell people where they can find your work and specifically where they can find your Mulan review, which should be published by now. Right. Um, my Mulan review is on everymoviehaslesson.com. It is also published on 25YL. So if you search for 25yearslater.com, or 25yearslatersite.com, you'll find it there. And uh, can't wait to see it get published. Can't wait to see people find uh, enjoyment in this movie the way we did. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, real quick, uh, you're going to hear this again once we play the outro as we usually do. But we recently got rejected from Rotten Tomatoes again. And here's the thing. Yes, man. (laughs) So Rotten Tomatoes requires 200 ratings for podcasts. And we know based on our download numbers, based on our Facebook group members, our Twitter followers, etc., that we have the ability to get to 200 ratings. The issue is that these have to be on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. So for those of you on an Android, it means for you to help us out, you would need to download iTunes onto your computer and go and rate the podcast. You don't have to write words. You just have to click the little five stars and hit submit, and we're good to go. If you're on Apple, it's a lot easier. You can do it on your phone, an iPad, wherever that may be. So we're out here asking, basically, if you guys have those devices, if you have the means, if you have a few minutes and you could do that, rate the show, leave a review if you want, if you don't have, but you don't have to, specifically the ratings, we would really appreciate it. It would help push us out there. Um, we would love to get the show on Rotten Tomatoes just for more exposure and also to help bring some of our specific angle of how we like to talk about film to that platform uh, and, again, more for exposure to kind of get more people into these kind of conversations about movies. So. That's my plug. Not going to make it all the time, but figured this was a great place to throw it in there. Absolutely. If we need to hold the telephone, we can do that. We can call the late Jerry Lewis and say, come on, we can do this. Get do you think he's going to answer? <laughs> the late Jerry Lewis? At this point, we're not getting much. You're not getting the review, so anything's possible, right? We'll so. do that when we review Ghost. <laughs> oh, there hey. One of Don's favorite movies. An additional plug there. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you thought of Mulan. Hit us up on social media and tell us. And everybody, have a wonderful week. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. 
A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.